0: Hey everyone, it's Ryan with the Black Chain podcast, and today I'm going to talk a little bit about identifying which projects are going to be around after this bar market uh, plays out. So, with other bear markets similar to what we saw in 2013 and 2015, uh, what happens is you go way up, and in that case, it, uh, Bitcoin had gone up to like 1,300, 1,200 ish, and it had come eventually way back down to somewhere in the 200s or so. And don't quote me on those exact numbers, but pretty close to that. There were other projects and other cryptocurrencies that were alongside Bitcoin, um, Litecoin being one that's still around and several others being ones that aren't still around. And if you go look at CoinMarketCap, um, they have actually some historical snapshots of uh, projects that were around back then and projects that are no longer around. So what's going to happen in this era, It's going the same thing's going to happen. Uh, we're going to see that uh, a lot of these projects are no longer supported or no longer developed upon. We're going to see... Uh, projects or foundations or companies run out of money and no longer able to support their network. And then we're going to see the value of uh, these currencies drop so much that nobody wants to run a node or mine it, etc. So first, let's kind of explain that in a little bit more depth. So when the price of these currencies comes down, significance significantly you see miners drop out which is what we're seeing in bitcoin so bitcoins dropped somewhere on the order of 80 percent plus at this point and so we had this oversupply of hash rate this oversupply of miners uh that has occurred over the last several months um and with that people come offline because it's no longer profitable to mine so if btc were at twenty thousand dollars a coin you probably could add a ton more miners but now that it's somewhere around three four thousand uh, it's significantly lower, and then if you convert to dollars, then you have to cover your cost or euros or whatever else you need to convert to. It's just not enough to continue operations. And so for mining, a lot of people think you just kind of plug it in and that's the only cost that you have. But if you're an actual mining operation, you have all sorts of things like overhead, your building costs, electricity costs, you have uh, you know, uh, insurance, you have legal fees, all of these other things. So it, there is a cost, but the primary cost being uh, the electric- electricity cost. These miners will go to places where the electrical rates are low, and those are the ones that will most likely su- uh, survive, but they also have to have a very efficient operation as well. So anyway, you'll have miners shut down for proof-of-work sorts of systems, um, for things like EOS that require substantial servers for the proof of, uh, uh, the delegated proof-of-stake system. You may have some of those shut down too because you know the break-even point for a lot of these EO- EOS block producers is somewhere on the order of $2 plus. And right now EOS is below $2 and it could go even lower. So if that does happen, then you start running into the problem of people being able to maintain their servers, let alone, you know, being able to expand the project and fund development in different areas. They can't do that. Uh, So you have that issue with something like Horizon. uh, You have a lot of these nodes that are up. The nodes aren't, you know, critical to have a ton of them. There's quite a few of them, but those might start coming offline for other projects like Dash that has master nodes, you see the value of their, you know, I think it's a thousand Dash uh, per node. At one point, it was uh, oh, you need to be staking a thousand Dash to run a master node, I should say. At one point, uh, a master node you needed a thousand, and Dash was around a thousand, so it was like a million dollars. Now Dash is under a hundred bucks, and so it's tens of thousands, and so you could see people dumping uh, their Dash and shutting down their master nodes uh, because it's just you know. It's not worth it. Now, I don't know how much a master node costs to run. It probably isn't a terrible amount. So maybe that's not the case. Maybe they can still you know run them. You also have to appreciate the fact that they went from, you know, a million-dollar asset to something that's, you know, like a $50,000 asset. And so that's a big depreciation. And so uh, if, if folks didn't, you know, kind of get out of that, then, you know, I guess that's on them. But you would want to shut down your node. You want to get rid of that dash, you know, somewhere on the high side and, and kind of rotate out. So to kind of recap, what will happen is you'll have mining change where there's less miners. You might have 51% attack vulnerabilities. Um, we've seen a bit of that. You may have nodes shutting down. And, and then most importantly, you probably have less development if, you have, if you're funding your development through either a treasury or through venture capital or uh, uh, any of these other things. Or even if it's uh, funded through the community by volunteer work. The companies that are making money uh, on crypto, say, exchanges or uh, mining manufacturers, they're going to have less revenue in, so they're less likely going to uh, fund more development with either their internal staff or funding outside people. So overall, the entire market is going to feel the brunt of this, and all all ships are sinking, you know, you know, as they say, all these ships rise in some scenarios, they're all kind of sinking to another level. And so the question is, which ones are going to survive? Which projects are going to survive? And that's going to be a big function of how they set up, you know, their operations, how they set up, how they survive, how they set up their funding for development, how they set up their funding for getting the word out, where they are as far as growth at this point, and if they're big enough to kind of sustain themselves, or if they've gotten, haven't gotten to critical mass to where they're big enough to, you know, continue these operations. And I'll talk a little bit more about specifics, but kind of the idea of this video is to help you understand how to evaluate, uh, the winners from the losers, or, Put another way, the ones that uh, just aren't going to be able to survive through this crypto winter and the ones that are going to be able to thrive and where you can look at uh, finding value, a key question is, how is funding developed? How is the ecosystem funded? And so take Bitcoin, for example. It used to have, you know, kind of an operational foundation, not so much anymore. And it's, it's actually kind of, in a way, the most decentralized sort of development ecosystem where everyone kind of just works for themselves or they're part of a company like Blockstream, or maybe even Bitmain or others who, um, fund some sort of development in some ways or have some sort of incentive to direct where Bitcoin goes in some way because of all the work that they're doing behind the scenes. So you can have companies that are third parties that, you know, help support the Bitcoin development that provide uh, developers time or money to do so. And overall though, Bitcoin is kind of, it is a community sort of effort. You could have exchanges like Coinbase or Binance or whoever else also contribute developers to uh, uh, help out with the Bitcoin ecosystem because at the end of the day, all of these companies are reliant, all of these companies are reliant on uh, Bitcoin being successful and crypto being successful. So they'll probably throw some funds in. Now with the crypto winter sort of scenario, they also have less money. So there's going to be less development but it will still be sustained because the ecosystem is big. So the takeaway there is is that Bitcoin is relying on the ecosystem and awareness and brand to have people kind of develop on their own time uh, with their own money, similar to, say, something like Linux as an open source sort of thing um, uh, as well. So that's one model. Another model that we saw last year in 2017 is the ICO model, where a lot of these projects sold a bunch of tokens, and they raised Ether or Bitcoin uh, in the process. And they either held that uh, too long or they got out of that and converted that to cash uh, a long time ago and have a bunch of U.S. dollars sitting uh, in their bank account. So two examples I'll talk about are EOS and Tezos because they raised a decent amount and had high enough profile to where, say, Tezos raised somewhere on the order of 200 million in Ether and, Bit- and Bitcoin. They had some issues with the foundation and some scuffles there and some weird shit happening. And so I don't know when they ended up selling a a portion of their raised earnings, but say it was late uh, 2017, early 2018. So in reasonable prime time, say they converted all the money they raised into U.S. dollars and they have a, a decent pot of cash sitting there, if they held on to Ethereum. Or ether, and they held on to Bitcoin, and they've lost about you know eighty percent plus of their capital, and that's locked in the foundation. If you want to learn more about kind of the structure, it's it's kind of there's this development team over here, there's this foundation in Switzerland over here, and this one has the money, from what I understand, and kind of divvies it out, and this one that's doing development gets a portion of that, and so it's a, it's a kind of a weird structure, but overall the idea being they raise money through an ICO if they held on to ether or Bitcoin. Through this decline, then they're in trouble from a cash flow perspective, unless they're very lean, or at the very least, they have way less money than they used to. Uh, now, with EOS, they raised money over 365 days over the course of a year. They had a you know a, a daily auction, and they raised on billions of dollars. Now, the difference between them is that you know they took an Ether, and they probably converted that relatively quickly afterwards. I would think so. I would think they'd had smart enough people in, in accounting and in finance to uh, say, okay, let's convert this over. So they probably got all out of a lot of their Ether, especially if they, since they might feel that they're a competitor to Ethereum. They might have sold a lot of it. And so they're probably still sitting on billions of dollars in actual U.S. dollars uh, in cash. So they probably didn't ride the elevator down and lose a bunch of money. So they're sitting on a bunch of cash. So those were kind of ICO types. And there was a whole bunch of tokens and other things that were sold that weren't like these foundational protocols. And those, again, hopefully they sold out of their stuff and they're sitting on mostly cash. But if they hadn't, then they've lost a lot of money uh, through depreciation. So that's another way that uh, projects have funded their development is this ICO process. And so, again, hopefully they got out in time. If they didn't, then they have a lot less capital. So the other version is through a treasury system. So let's call this way number three, if you will. So, there's projects with treasuries like Zcash and uh, Horizon and things like that where a portion of the block reward uh, goes to this development fund. And sometimes that development fund is controlled by a centralized entity or a nonprofit or whatever the case may be. And that's kind of the funding that is used to continue development, continue outreach, and grow the project. And so, there's quite a few projects that are set up like that. But what happens in those situations is if the underlying value of the currency drops a ton, your treasury fund uh, drops a similar amount. So if your treasury fund was 100,000 a month, now it's you know 10,000 a month. That's a big deal. Or say it was a million. It's probably more likely you know somewhere on the order of a million or millions for these large projects. And then it's come down 90%. Either way you've cut it, it's a huge drop. And so that huge drop cuts into your funding. You have to cut staff. An example of this is with Steemit, which they were close to or somewhere around a billion dollar valuation or market cap at one point. And now they're somewhere uh, under a hundred million, and so they've had to lay off seventy percent of their staff because they just don't have the they don't have the money anymore. They don't have the finances anymore because their income was dependent upon the success of the cryptocurrency um, underlying. And so when those all come down, as you can see, they lose a bunch of money. So those are risky propositions. So projects like that have you know this inherent risk because one, it's more centralized in its development, and maybe the open source community feels less less likely to contribute because it feels like a closed-off system. And secondly, they have this just underlying risk with the currency depreciating. So there are quite a few out there, so you have to watch for that. And you have to be very careful of those. It doesn't mean that those guys can't survive. It just means that they can get into you know, a death spiral to where you know, the, the currency drops so much that people start shutting down nodes, people don't want to mine, people don't want to develop because there's not enough cash for that, and then you know, the project can you know, implode. Uh, so it takes a quite a bit of resilience to come back from that. And then the fourth, let's call it the fourth version, is if you just took money from outside uh, folks. So say something like Filecoin, or even a little bit of SciCoin, I believe they took some outside uh, capital. Uh, Potentially even Cardano. uh, They may have taken some money from um, traditional investors. So they got U.S. dollars in. Um, and they have investors and maybe those investors got you know, some SAFs or some equity in the company or some coins or whatever the case may be. And so they have money that come in, came in through investors. And so presumably they may be able to do you know a series A or a series B or a series C future rounds to be able to sustain themselves as an entity to support this cryptocurrency. But it would be kind of, if they have to raise money again, it would be kind of like a down round for them in a traditional startup sense. And it's not a good thing, but then they would also have to figure out how that's priced for their company, but also do they get more coins or tokens? Is there an allocation of that? Is there inflation that has to be pushed onto the network to make that work? But those aren't so bad in the sense that they at least are assured that they got U.S. dollars in the first place. And if they uh, budgeted correctly, you know, hopefully they can sustain this, you know, kind of uh, bear market and continue developing, continue expanding and get something, you know, when things come back months from now or years from now. So those are the methods that people have gone about to kind of fund development or promote development, and each of those has their own risks, and each of those has their own benefit too. Um, If you take a look at who has the most cash, it's probably EOS and Block One, since they raised billions of dollars, presumably converted it to cash, and so they're sitting on billions of dollars as kind of this venture fund to develop EOS projects to support the network, or... If they're just greedy, they might end up just running off with the money and saying, "Hey, this was fun while it lasted," but you know we made several billion dollars, and you know this thing this this ship sunk. hopefully that's not the case, but if that's not the case, then they're probably in the best position as far as cash goes uh maybe 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 not the best. Maybe bitcoin's in a better position because they have an entire ecosystem, an entire planet, an entire world kind of focused on it, but they do have some bottlenecks and just you know Integrating into the core protocol, there's, it's always contentious. You know, what are we going to let in? What are we going to let out? So I don't, I don't know how people feel about that. But there's definitely lots of things going on outside of the core stuff with Lightning Network um, vendors, people accepting all. So it's kind of got a life of its own. So overall, I might argue that Bitcoin has the most staying power, assuming that there's not some sort of attack or some sort of issues with the network. You know, with the uh, price dropping and consolidation of mining. You you might see you know an even further consolidation of who the miners are, and uh, it might only be you know a couple people. Maybe it was a few people or four or five people that controlled kind of the the system. It might actually dwindle down or it might end up helping as people distribute out these things and the price goes up and you know they kind of fire sell their mining devices and then other people pick them up or whatever the case may be it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out but overall assuming there's not these uh you know systematic risks or these you know black swan sorts of events it has the biggest ecosystem people in finance know about it people in technology know about it people around the world know about it and so it has the most staying power so if you're looking for I suppose the safe harbor in crypto, it actually is Bitcoin, even though it's gone down 80% plus. um, It's a place where I think, you know, in some ways isn't a store of value because it's gone down 80% plus, but it is, you know, safety in this industry. Uh, Ethereum, you know, I've always had mixed feelings about that. And my primary issue with it is just whether it can scale. There's lots of issues that people are reporting in the network, whether the promises that they made as far as, you know, sharding and, you know, off chain sort of things and plasma, if those are gonna to come to fruition, if it doesn't fork in the process, if there isn't contention, if the miners just abandoned, if there's no security, there's all these other things. Um, so even though a lot of people like Ethereum, not a huge fan, you know, not investment advice, but not a huge fan. Uh, but they also are just being, you know, funded by the community as well, in the in the sense that it has a decently large ecosystem. And so there will be things that are done simply because people want to do. So that's kind of what we're dealing with right now is looking at who's going to survive, who has the fundamentals, and where the value is. And I think that's an important thing now. I mean, last year, if you asked me, I'd say everything's just way high. If you look at some of my other previous podcasts, my biggest worry was paying too much for these assets. And that continued to be my worry for quite some time because it was clearly in a bubble. It, It just, you know... People were talking about it everywhere. You know, kids were talking about it. Everyone was like, "Bitcoin's going up and up and up." And this, this is the mentality and the psychology of a bubble. And if you've seen enough of them, then you know what they look like. And so then you get out and you, you know, cash in uh, your your earnings or your winnings or your your, your profits, if you will. And then you just wait, and you be patient. And right now, we're in kind of this patient mode. I'm not saying that we've hit bottom. Uh, We still could have further to go. I mean, Bitcoin could see 2,500, it could see 1,500. But you have to start looking at the psychology of the situation. What happened last year was very anomalous and very uh, bubblish. And so when that happens, you usually have this swing back down, like I talked about in previous videos. And you have to watch the psychology of these markets, because these are primarily being driven by psychology, you know, and the psychology is whether people trust this currency, whether people trust this industry, um, whether people are speculating on it. There's no cash flow sort of things. These things aren't paying dividends. These things aren't you know, bonds or things like that. They're not even stocks which are represented by companies that have particular cash flows and assets and things like that and voting rights. Uh, some of them have voting rights and some of them have these different things quote-unquote assets that you can have but for the most part they're not any of these traditional asset classes and it's driven primarily by psychology Uh, so that's also why it's very important for someone to identify which ones they believe will be around but also which ones the market thinks are going to be around because if the market doesn't care then again you have those issues where the price comes down so much that none of the supporting infrastructure is uh is profitable for anyone as well um and then you know things kind of start shutting down on themselves whether it starts with mining whether then it goes to attacks or then whether it goes to you know nodes coming down and offline and people consolidating to the ones that are around and this is very normal in sort of these bear markets and these kind of uh, washouts if you will to where things consolidate the market works itself out and you get projects that uh, just aren't able to survive in this current market you get them to go and you get other ones to continue, you know, either flat or upwards at some point. So those are some things to think about. Uh, Hopefully you've learned something. I provided you uh, with some food for thought, some things to think about. And I hope to see you next time on the blockchain podcast.